I just don't really want to say some of the things that I think I'm supposed to say today, Lord. <laughs> this is one of the second days, not like the first. This is, one of the day, this is one of day two. This is one of those times when I would rather not have to say some of the things I'm going to say this morning. So now that you're conditioned for all of that, <laughs> I'm going to say it, everything I'm supposed to say. And uh, when I get through with this, I hope some of you will rush home and get on Facebook and tell folks that they need to go to our website and listen to it. It'll already be on the website. And you go home and listen to it. And I know you're going to pick out some people that you don't like to send that to. (laughs) But pick out some people that you want to bless with the truth, with the truth. Because I will tell you this, my friends, there's one thing that is certain, there are many things that are certain about God, but there's one thing that is certainly true, always true, and that is that if you will believe it and receive it, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free and make you whole. And this is the scripture for this message this morning, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to give you a moment to turn there with me. I should have given it to Projection Booth so it could have been put on the screen, but if it be found quickly enough, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10, and then I believe that I will preach a message to you this morning that God will honor because it's his message and his word today. The title of this message today is The Antidote to Every Poison. Last week I named sin as a poison and I said sometimes poison tastes good. And it's true. One of the great songs that we've sung through the ages is that we want to be removed from all the follies and pleasures of sin because there can be pleasure in sin but be assured of this it's always temporary it doesn't last there's nothing enduring about it that which is pleasurable for the moment is death at the end and so 1 John chapter 1 Verses uh, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father, I require the anointing of the Holy Spirit to preach this message this morning. And I say that word humbly and carefully, thoughtfully. 
I require the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This is not a message, Lord, that I can bring on my own. And I would not want to ever at any time do that anyway. But particularly today, I feel I need the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And I do know this, Lord. I do know that I am your anointed messenger. And I do know that you give me words for people who are here. These are not words for anybody that I've chosen because I did not know who was going to be here this morning, Lord. There may be people here that I did not expect. There are probably people not here that I would have expected. In any event, I, don't, I, I, I plan nothing ahead, Lord, for anybody. But I am going to speak the word of your truth today. I'm going to do it with your anointing. I'm going to do it in your power. I'm going to do it with your enabling. Because this is a word that you have given. And because you've given it, I know you want it delivered to the people who are here today. And I will do that, Lord, to the best of my ability as you anoint me and touch me with the power of your Holy Spirit to make it real, alive, and cause it to penetrate our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Even that prayer before the message was somewhat unusual. So So here we go. There's a message of light and there's a message of darkness. Sometimes people's vision is so clouded they can't tell when it's light and they can't tell when it's dark. You perhaps have experienced that at some time. You've, you've been a, you've, you've have awoken at a different time that you're not accustomed to waking up and you're kind of confused because you don't know if it's light or dark. I've had that happen. You may also not realize that uh, sometimes when you're moving about that it's going to become dark sooner than you thought you started out in daylight and the next thing you know is dark you've got to turn on your headlights see if you drive but light and darkness are both prevalent in our lives in a in, in the real sense of daylight and darkness or a dark room and turn on the light it, it, it's very prevalent and and we're so accustomed to it it's kind of like it's there just there. But there's something about truth and error. Truth is light. Error is sin and darkness. There's something about truth that sometimes confuses people. And I have difficulty at times comprehending how Christians can fail to understand the difference between darkness and light. It seems like it ought to be so easy. And in fact, it should be because God's Word has made it very clear God's Word is so clear about sin that it names almost every sin you can commit. And it tells you what the opposite is. It tells you what is the opposite of sin. If you don't believe that, read Galatians chapter 5. You can write it down. And and while you're playing with your telephone, you can just switch over and make a note in your telephone about Galatians chapter 5. And then you can go back to your texting. No, don't do that, please. (laughs) Just one of my facetious moments. So, so, so you, 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 have to, you have to come to a point of recognizing what is, what is truth and, and light and what is untruth and darkness. And again, what makes it so difficult to comprehend with so many people is it, it is in the Word so clear. I think what happens is when we're reading some things in the Word and it's enumerating those sins of carnality and of the flesh, 
the ones that are so prevalent in our lives, we tend to read over real fast. And then we get to the next one and say, oh, boy, sure I'm glad that's in there because my brother, that's exactly what he did, instead of seeing it for me. But if you will read Galatians chapter 5, and that's just one place, and read all the things that it says about sin, and then read the things it says about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what well, a contrast, it's so clear and so evident and so obvious. Sometime a long time ago, I think about 1950, there was a movie that came out. I hate illustrating sermons with movies, but this is a good one. A movie came out. It was called DOA, Dead on Arrival. And it was about a man who at a club or somewhere at some time or other had the drink he was drinking switched, and the drink that was put before him had poison in it. And so he drank it. And then he realized he was, he, he was sick. He went to be checked and he found out that he had a poison that he had ingested. And it was a poison without an antidote. And he had 24 hours to live. So he invested the next 24 hours trying to find out, it was who, find out who it was that had poisoned him. So that he could find out the answer from them. as to, If there was anything he could do about getting this poison relieved from his body I don't really remember the story of it uh, uh, of the whole thing but I do remember it was about this man trying to get over that poison that was in his body and finally at the end of the movie he died now I'm telling you that there are a lot of people walking around with poison you may have longer than 24 hours or you may not There are people walking around with poison in their bodies. And that poison is not arsenic. It's not strychnine. It it, it isn't cyanide. That poison is sin. And that sin in your life will kill you. It will destroy you. You may not die and we won't have your funeral next Monday. Not tomorrow, but a week after that. You may not die in time for us to have your funeral next Monday, but... If you keep sin in your life, you will die. You will die spiritually. You will die in the fellowship of God's people. You will find yourself losing touch with the reality of life. You'll lose touch with what is meaningful and valuable and worthwhile in life and find yourself absorbed in those things that are destructive and harmful. And those things that will bring you down rather than lift you up. I cite you again. God's word makes it very clear to us. Now, if sin is a poison, and I said last week sometimes poison does taste good, it still kills you. Doesn't matter how nice it looks, how attractive it seems, how much it might appeal to you, how much you dress it up with a little parasol in the drink or a little fruit in it to make you taste a little. No, it doesn't matter. Because poison is going to kill you, no matter what it tastes like, no matter how good it seems, no matter how attractive it is. Sin can be like that. It can sometimes taste good. It can sometimes look good. It can sometimes feel like this is the right thing to do. I deserve this. I deserve this. I paid a price. I ought to have this. I ought to be able to get this. 
Uh, it, does, I, it doesn't matter that I'm breaking my promise. It doesn't matter that I'm breaking my oath. It doesn't matter that I'm going against my vows of marriage. It doesn't matter that I'm going against the things that I've said and promised and declared to God just this one time, and then I'll get back on track. But what will happen when you get a little bit off track, then you get a little bit more off track and a little bit more, and the first thing you know, you're a train wreck. And some of you are a train wreck looking for a place to happen. Because sin does that. Sin causes that. Sin produces death. Lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin, is what the Bible says. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And so, I want to talk to you about about that sin. I'll ask you to go with me if you'd like to follow in the scriptures of 1 John chapter 5. And I'm going to tell you about, I'm going to tell you some things about sin out of, out of this chapter, 1 John chapter 5. This is verse 16 and 17. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death, John writes. Then he says, there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now that should be encouraging to some people, but if it encourages you that some sin doesn't lead to death, then you misunderstand the passage. It isn't telling you that sin won't cause you to die. It's telling you that some sins can be forgiven and overcome, and those things that have already been forgiven are gone and, do and done. Those sins will not lead to death. There are some sins that won't lead to death. Sin left alive and thriving in your life, all of it will finally ultimately lead to death. But there is a sin that we should pray for people to overcome and get forgiven for, delivered and set free. And then there is sin that we should not pray for. There are people who come to the place, and I'm going to just digress a moment to say, in case any of you think that you ever got to the place here that we stopped praying for you, I haven't seen anybody here yet, I haven't seen anybody here yet this morning that that's true of. So none of you have crossed over that line as far as I know, and certainly not as far as my own experience with you is concerned, because I've kept praying for some of you on and on and on and on, still praying for you. Doesn't seem to do much good, but I'm praying for you anyway. <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> There's a sin. There is a sin that is a sin of death, and nothing can change it. The, the one thing, there are people who've often said that the two, there are two unpardonable sins, suicide and, and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I don't believe suicide is always unpardonable. I, 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 make, a lot of, I make a lot of concessions there to the grace of God. But I do know this, because Jesus said it. There is a sin that will not be pardoned, and that's the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you the worst-case scenario, and then I can maybe ease off a little bit and give you something that's not quite as horrible as this. But the fact of the matter is that people can, and if it were impossible to commit this sin, Jesus would have never said anything about it. So it is possible to commit the unpardonable sin and never be able to be forgiven. I want to say to you, because I believe I understand what that is, I don't think there's anybody in here today, as of now, 
who is responsible and guilty of the unpardonable sin. So I'll say that as a word of encouragement. And at the same time, I'll say to you a warning. There, there isn't anybody who could not do it if they follow a path away from God. This is what blaspheming the Holy Spirit is. It's first of all, continuing rejecting the gospel and the increasing hardness of the heart that comes with every rejection. There are some people who have rejected the gospel for so long, they no longer have any interest in hearing it. When they hear it, it's like a fable or a story, and they pay no attention to it. Some people feel that way just because they've never known any better. Some people feel that way because they have rejected for so long, and they have renounced the truth for so long, that they no longer have any ability to absorb it or comprehend it, and it's just like uh, a, 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 dark, a dark theme of their life. They pay no attention to it. They have no interest in it. So when you have no interest anymore in the gospel, no concern, no care about it whatsoever, it's like something else somebody said, and it's no more important to you than the price of eggs. You don't care. You get to that place, that's a rejection of God. You've rejected him. Somebody rejected the Lord to the point that they've hardened themselves. And it isn't that God wouldn't forgive it, but that person never has any desire to be forgiven. That's stage one. The other way that person blasphemes the Holy Spirit is ascribing the works of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to the devil and giving the devil credit for what the Spirit of the Lord has done. That's the context in Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus spoke about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The context of it is that the people were saying that Jesus cast out demons because he was in league with Beelzebub, the prince of devils. He was in league with Satan. They accused him of being satanic in delivering people from demons and from sickness and disease and making people whole. They said the reason he could do that is because he's working in the power of the devil and he's in league with him. And Jesus then spoke about that, and he said several things. But then he said, if you ascribe the works of the Holy Spirit to the devil, you are committing a sin that God will not forgive. All things that are spoken against the Son can be forgiven. All things spoken against the Father can be forgiven. But he said, if you ascribe these things that the Holy Spirit does in his power and his victory... And you say that those things are the works of the devil, then you've crossed that line. I don't think it'd be just one time. I think you'd have to live constantly doing that. And at a point in time, God would just withdraw his presence from you, and that would be it. Now, that's my explanation to you of what I believe the unpardonable sin is. And the reason I have to tell you that is because John said there's a sin that will not be forgiven, and there's a sin that will be forgiven. So one of the things about sin that will not be forgiven is what I just described to you and what I just told you. Now, I want to talk to you about something more in the neighborhood of where we live. And that is about the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. You do realize that there is a conflict when someone is trying to live in the spirit and live in the flesh or the living carnality at the same time. There is a conflict because there is a conflict between the life of the spirit and the life lived in the flesh. And if you're trying to live both, you're living in a place of unhappiness and you're trying to figure out why you're unhappy. You've been trying to figure out what is it that makes me feel just something. You don't know what it is. You can't name it. I've had so many people say, Pastor, I I just don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's just something. And I say, have you read Galatians chapter 5? 
All of it. Because there's the answer. If you're living in the flesh, knowing the life of the Spirit. You're living in the flesh, but you know what the spiritual life is. You're not living it, but you know it. Then you know where you should be, but where you're not. And the flesh overcomes. Now, let me be just as clear as I can possibly be about living in the flesh. I want to tell you that this is why you misunderstand, why you misunderstand a lot of other people. Good works are not an antidote to sin. So, so if you see somebody and you know, well, you know, he, yeah, I, know, I know he'll cuss you out at a moment's notice if you say the wrong thing to him. I know he will, but, but still in all, he never stole anything from me. And, 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 and I know that he'll run up and, and, and he'll, he'll do anything. He'll threaten you or, or, or challenge you uh, about almost anything. But, you know, he's got a good heart. He doesn't really have a good heart, but you just don't know that because you can't see his heart. You should be able to see it because you see his works. Good works have never taken the place. Good works never cover sin. So when you have somebody, there are people who live a life of dichotomy, I say. They're like split personalities. You don't know which, you don't know whether you're going to see them one time when they're in their good person or on the other side when you're going to see them when they've given up to their sinful person. You're not sure. You hope you'll always catch them on the good day, but if you catch them on the bad day, you kind of throw your car in gear and speed it up and get away. Well, that's what you should do. But you see, there are, there are those of us who are confused by believing that good works can cover up sin. And it just doesn't happen. It doesn't matter how much good a person does. This is what's confusing about not being able to recognize what sin is. We think, well, you know, he's not all bad. No, he's not. She's not. He or she. No, they're not all bad. They're not totally, absolutely reprobate sinful. There's only one person that I know of who's all bad anyway. Just wait a minute, let you think about who that might be. I know you've got several people in mind. (laughs) There's only one person that's all bad all the time. That's the devil. The people that he works in and has his way with Always show a little bit of good in them so that you will be confused about the reality of what sin is and what sin does. And so, and so when you read the scripture, you have to say, well, yeah, but yeah, he, he does do that. That is the way he is, but, but you know, he's not that way all the time. <laughs> Isaiah 64, 6, chapter 64, verse 6. We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display, listen now, right out of the scripture, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Our righteous deeds, our righteous deeds within ourselves that we may do, I will build your doghouse for you. Because I know you don't know how to cut a board or drive a nail. I'm saying this is really the opposite. I don't know about cutting boards or driving nails, so you'll have to build my doghouse for me. Say it that way. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so that and you do and that's a good deed because Fido needs a place to live and you build him a house and I'll just thank you for that and love you for that but then you go out and lie about me 
or then you walk up to me and spit in my face because I said something you didn't like. I'm not going to say because you built my doghouse that makes it all right for you to do that. You might say that about your friend. I'm not going to say that about mine. I'm going to say he's half devilish. And if he's half devilish, he might as well be all devilish. Oh, I told you this wasn't going to be real popular, so can't say I didn't tell you. At least I didn't tell you before you got here, though. That's <laughs> so here it is. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. Our sins sweep us away with the wind. It's not what we think about people. It's not what we think about people. It's what the Bible says about people. And, and, and when the Bible says something about somebody, it's true. It doesn't matter if it's your wife or your husband, your son or your daughter, your best friend, the guy you go hunting with all the time. The guy that you like to go fishing with. The woman that you like to, provided you're another woman, go shopping with in the mall. And go out and have a good time. If they display the works of the flesh and the life of the flesh, they are living in the flesh and therefore living in sin. Doesn't matter what the good things are. Sure, you went shopping with them and they bought you a purse. One you've been wanting all that time. Good, good friend. And the next thing you know, she was telling your neighbor what a nasty person you were. Went out and made, made her buy you a purse and spend her money on you. Tricked her into it. Am I making sense here? So it's not what you think about people, but what the Bible says about them. It's kind of, it's kind of like the, now this is not funny. Not, not, not any degree of humor in this. But it's kind of like the, the man who beats his wife. And then after it's over, he's so sorry. He says, well, you know, oh, darling, I'm so sorry. I, I, I only did that because I love you so much. That's what I hear. That's what I'm told they say. I only, you, you made me do that because you made me love you so much. You stupid idiot fool. Don't you know anything that the Bible says or anything that's true? And yet that's what, I, I, when, I read about, when I read about these things, that's what I read all the time that's that, that said. I, I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. That's just so disgusting. But I will say this. This is the scripture. But I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want and ought to do. That's what the living in the flesh does. And so now, here they are. All this time I've led up to give you this list. Here is the list of the works of the flesh. Right out of Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now I'm going to pick out. I'm going to tell you now, if you're reading with me, you're going to see I'm skipping some things. Because I'm not going to mention sexual immorality or drunkenness or orgies or things like that because that would be so obvious 
But in that very same list, now it's not like a list, it's not like the uh, a, a, a church which has a list of sins. I read, I read the list this week because I was looking at things about this. I read the list that lists mortal sins and venial sins. And, and do you know that there is a description for every conceivable sin that a person can commit? You, you read this list of, and every sin you can think of and things you haven't thought about are on that list. These are mortal sins. These are venial sins. This is the difference. This is what you have to do to get rid of this. what you have to do to get rid of this one. That's not the way the Bible puts it. The Bible puts them all right there together. It says that those things I just mentioned, immorality, drunkenness, orgies, those things are in the same category. He lists them all one after the other, kind of jumbled up together. And among those things, he says, that are the works of the flesh, the sins of the flesh are, first, impurity, idolatry. Ah, you pastor. <laughs> I just slipped by you on that one, pastor. I'm not an idolater. I'm not an idol worshiper. What about that little God you carry around with you all the time? You know the one I'm talking about, the one you, you carry in your purse. You've got, a little, you've got a little case strapped on it. And you take it out. You've been playing with it since you've been here. I haven't seen anybody doing it because I don't look for those kinds of things. But I just know when you get a crowd of people this big in these days, you... <laughs> now, I, 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 let me just say this to you. I know some of you, I don't want to embarrass you. But I know some of you, if you're looking at your telephone in case you didn't know what I was talking about you're looking at the scriptures I'm talking about you're, I know you are, you're looking on our Wi-Fi here in the building and you can bring it up on your phone, I know that's what you're doing I'm talking about other people who can't live without it because you see they walk around when they, when they walk around <laughs> have you ever seen somebody walking around with, and, and you see them coming but they're looking like this you better step aside because they won't ever see you everywhere they go, everywhere they go it's just right there in front that, that, that telephone is what we call a ubiquitous idol. I mean, it, a ubiquitous means it's always there. It's everywhere, all the time, everywhere you turn, everywhere you go. It's there. There's so many texts on your telephone, you'd have to go back. It'd take you an hour to find one that came in yesterday that you want to go back and review and see something about. You've got so many that you've done. Uh, just idol. That's just one thing. I could name a whole lot of things that might be idolatrous. And then he goes on to mention sorcery. Sorcery is witchcraft. Oh, I'm not a witch. But listen, the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Are you rebelling any way against God, against authority, against your family, against, against your treasured word that you've given? Are you living rebellion? If you are, that's sorcery and witchcraft. Enmity. Strife, jealousy. I wish I could, I started to say I wish I could slip over this one, but I don't. I'm glad. In fact, I make sure I didn't forget it. I highlighted this one in yellow along with the other ones that I've got in bold type. The next one lists is fits of anger. Quiet. <laughs> Rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions, envy, all of those things. And I will tell you this, if you spend much time talking with people about their issues, their problems, and their troubles, you are going to come across 
all of these things jumbled up in somebody's life because that's the kind of thing that drives you to the counselor. That's the kind of thing that drives you to the altar. That's the kind of thing that drives you to God. It ought to drive you to God. If it doesn't drive you to God, you're losing. You're completely losing it. That's what it has to do, drive you to God, to get the answer from Him. And so I said that today I would talk about the antidote to sin. And so far I've just been talking about sin. But the reason is because I have to clarify what the poison is. And now that I've clarified, I hope to some extent, what the poison is, I can give you very quickly what the antidote is. The antidote is not complicated. The complication is to recognize that we're living in that carnality, in that flesh, in that opposition to the Spirit, and that this is what is controlling our lives. That's why I, we say, fly off the handle. That's why I say things I ought not to say. That's why, yeah, I'm here with two or three other people and ordinarily wouldn't do this if I were by myself, but, but these people want, don't want to stand out and be like a sore thumb. I'll go ahead and do it now, and then I'll get right about it later. That's why that's what happens in your life. So as long as if you recognize where you are, there's an antidote. If you don't know that your life is poisoned, you'll never seek the antidote, and it won't matter. But if you know that there's poison that you need an answer for, there is an antidote to every poisonous sin that the enemy causes to infect your life, to every single one of them. And first of all, that antidote is described in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit can bring the Word of God to bear in your life and give you a light of revelation such as you've never had before, enabling you to see that from which you need deliverance, that, from which, you, that, over which, you, that which is in your life over which you need victory. And when He makes it known to you, you can be set free. That's what the power of God does through the power of His Word. That's what He does. So the Word is the antidote. And then... I want to tell you the next thing is, and I'm going to try to cover this very quickly in just the next couple of minutes. Stay with me just shortly. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is what I read in the beginning of our scripture. This is what the first verse, verse 5, first verse I read says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says if again I read this verse too but if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin now if we walk in the light as he is in the light that means walking in all the light we have doing all that we know to do that which is right that which is scriptural that which is true doing that living right walking that path living in that light then everything else that we may not even know is sin or those things over which we're seeking to conquer because we're walking in all the light we have God will remove those things and give us victory over them walking in all the light that we have in him is the key to victory and that's what looses the power of God's word by the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us deliverance and the freedom that gives us conquest and victory over every sin and that does happen and then that's why Psalm 119 verse 105 the longest psalm in the Bible 
Verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and the light to my path. Your path cannot be lighted unless it's by the word of God and the truth of God's word. That's what gives you light on your path. And when that light shines on your path, in the word of God, you have to walk in it, live in it, trust God for it, believe God for that victory, and overcome. And overcome everything, every work of the flesh, every carnal impact that the enemy would make against you. Please, my friends, don't take this morning, this message this morning is just another sermon. Don't take this as something that you learned that enmity is a sin. That's all you walk away with. Take this as something that is a help from God for you. Because you know where you live. I don't know where you're living. And you say, well, I have people all the time come and say, Pastor, you know, you were talking right to me when you said such and such a thing. And I say, well, praise God. I didn't, I, I didn't do it because I know what's going on. I did it because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on. I said it because he knows what to say when I don't know what to say. So if I hit right where you live today, praise God for it. I just give God the glory for that. And you should too. Because then God can do something for you in your life. And you young people, let me tell you. What I'm telling you now is the way to set the course of your life. What I'm telling you is the way to chart the course of your life. Walk in the Spirit. Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And God will give you constant overcoming victory in every way. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that the Holy Spirit will impress your truth upon every person here. And as I have talked about the antidote for sin, we come now, Lord, to another part of that antidote the revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior.